Today is April 18th. Errol Spence Jr. just destroyed your Dennis Ugas, and I think we are finally getting a fight with Terrence Crawford. Let's talk about it. Everybody, welcome into another edition of Inside Boxing Live, episode 153, brought to you by John Boy Media. And I've settled in, got a couple weeks uh, under my belt here at John Boy Media. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Devin Haney. <clears throat> that was a good one. And now we set our sights on what happened last week. You know, I usually put the show out on Thursdays, that will continue to happen. Uh, but I want to start doing more shows on Mondays because we have to talk about what happened this past weekend. There were a lot of big upcoming fights on the schedule, like Tyson Fury coming up this week against Dillian White. And after that, we got Taylor versus Serrano. I'll be there uh, live at MSG. We're going to bring you a lot of content there. So don't forget to subscribe to the JM Boxing uh, YouTube page. Obviously, Oscar Valdez and Shakur Stevenson, too. So want to start doing more Monday recap episodes uh, where we talk about what happened over the weekend. We look ahead a little bit, but I will still have shows coming out every single Thursday. So I appreciate everyone. I appreciate all the kind messages, too. I got a lot of messages after the announcement that I now work for John Boy Media. Uh, I have a lot planned. Uh, I'm going to be putting a lot more stuff on YouTube. So don't forget to subscribe, like I just said, to the JM Boxing YouTube page. Had a great weekend. Was over in Detroit, Michigan for Broadway Boxing with Lou DiBella and the whole crew. Corey Erdman, Justin Shackle. Celebrity chef Chris Santos was part of the broadcast crew. Uh, and we had a good time. We had a very good time. The fights were fun. Uh, Mike Balligan uh, in the main event. Uh, you remember him. from He fought on Triller last. He knocked out Tommy Morrison's son. Uh, you know, a 38-year-old heavyweight, but young in the game, if that makes sense. Uh, he, he fought well. He had a quick knockout. Uh, we went out to dinner on Friday night with celebrity chef Chris Santos. You probably know him from Chopped, uh, Food Network. And he says, listen, guys, I'm going to order for the table. And we're like, oh, I, that's, I wonder what that means. <laughs> we're at a steakhouse. And it was a top five meal of my life in Detroit, Michigan, of, of all places. Just one steak after the next. Uh, sides, you know, we had Lou uh, DiBella in the middle of the table holding court, telling uh, some great stories. Phenomenal, phenomenal time in Detroit. And also, it was the 37th anniversary of Tommy Hearns versus uh, Marvin Hagler. You can see it right there. And since we're in Detroit, Tommy Hearns showed up at the fight. He walked in the door in Detroit, and the fans there went berserk. So to be with Tommy Hearns on the 37th anniversary of his fight with Hagler in Detroit – that uh, was awesome. I got back Saturday and I quickly settled in uh, for the fight we saw between your Dennis Ugas and Errol Spence. That's why we're doing this uh, recap podcast. I mean, you've been able to digest it now. You were able to figure out uh, how good Errol Spence looked. And wow, I mean, this dude put on, that's a performance of his career. Uh, that's his best performance by far. Um through 784 punches, and if you listened last week or you watched any of my uh, videos or you follow me on, on Twitter, I talked a lot about this, the pace of Errol Spence. His punch volume versus Danny Garcia was down. It was down to 58 punches around. That's not Errol Spence. You know, Derek James told us, Errol Spence told us that he was only about 40% for that fight with Danny Garcia, and I th still thought he looked excellent. So I wanted to see what his pace would be against Ugas. 
Will he be back to his normal 70 punches around, which he was during his whole career? And he blew, he blew past that. 784 punches in 10 and a half rounds, 78 punches around. Hammered him to the body. 70 of his 219 landed punches were body shots. Back to a great distribution, I thought, too, of 60% of his thrown punches were power shots. So he was hunting Ugas. Uh, he, you know, Spencer has one of the best jabs in the welterweight division, but he didn't really jab often in this fight. He only landed 7% of his jab. So he was clearly going in there to make a statement like he talked about all week long and make a statement he did because he is fully back. And you can arguably say that Errol Spence is better than ever. He's peaking right now at age 32. Um, not only that, defense too. Uh, one of the better defenders in all of boxing. Best, uh, one of the better defenders in the welterweight division. Held Ugas to just 16% landed. And then there was that moment in the sixth round when things went a little haywire for, for Errol Spence. And it was that... Shot that knocked the mouthpiece out. Good punch from, from Ugas. But then there was that mix-up where you had Lawrence Cole, one of the worst referees in boxing. I don't understand how he gets this assignment, but I do understand because his, he has great connections with the Texas commission. His father was the president of the commission for, or was the commissioner of Texas Athletic Commission for years. But there was a moment where Spence mouthpiece knocked out. He's looking down at the, mouth, the mouthpiece. Cole screams out, stop. He doesn't, uh, Ugas kind of stops a little bit and then ha hammers him with a one-two. Spence goes crashing up against the ropes. Probably should have been ruled a knockdown, but Cole was just bungled it. It was, it was just awful refereeing. He, he made himself known in this fight. You never want to know the referee's name in a fight. Just get out of the way. Cole was stopping the fight numerous times to check on Ugas' eye. He made himself a talking point, and you never want that to happen. But that was the only moment of this fight for Spence where he was in somewhat trouble. You know, a rare brain fart from, from Spence. He talked about it afterwards. That won't happen again. Protect myself at all times. Hadn't been in the ring in 15 months. So maybe he had a little moment where he didn't, uh, you know, it was foreign to him. But crash up against the Rose probably should have been a knockdown. But from that moment on, was scary. Because Spence took it to another level. Outlanded Ugas 113-25. to From that moment, he went crashing into the ropes until he got the stoppage. We're talking about a world champion in Ugas, a world-class fighter being held to 25 punches landed over four rounds. He had no answers for Spence. Everything was working for Spence. The uppercut was a thing of beauty. Uh, the right hook was a thing of beauty. The infighting, being physical, pushing back Ugas, who is a big welterweight too, and able to land 70 body shots, just hammered Ugas to the body, ended up breaking uh, his eye socket, and shout out to your Dennis Ugas. I talked about it a lot last week. One of the better stories in boxing. Nearly quit the sport in 2014 when he had back-to-back -back losses. Aroldis Chapman, uh, his trainer Ismael Salas, his, his manager Luis Tacubas, got him back into the sport. And then he went off to win, what, 12 of 13? Only loss was to Sean Porter. But to go from that moment, almost out of the sport, to fighting in a three-belt unification at AT&T Stadium. That's why he had that big smile on his face, Ugas, when he was walking out to the ring. You couldn't wipe that smile off his face, but things got serious once he stepped in there. But shout-out uh, to your Dennis Ugas, broken orbital bone, gave it all he had. Not the best game plan, though. Uh, I talked about it last week as well, is, is can Ugas win a decision in Texas while being a counterpuncher, throwing 38 punches around? So I think he, in the back of his mind, he was thinking that. I think he decided, I'm going to stand and trade a little more. I'm going to stand my ground. But he, he tasted some of Spence's power, and he just didn't fire back at all. So at that, that point, he was just standing there like a sitting duck, 
and Spence w- was picking him off left and right. But uh, this is a reason why many have uh, Errol Spence in the top five at pound for pound. I think he solidified himself. I think he erased all doubts because there were doubts heading into this fight. I was wrong. I thought that Spence would win, but he was going to get a decision. I, I picked 10.5 as the over, and it did. the over did hit. But I thought Spence was going to win a somewhat close decision where we were going to get more questions than answers. That did not happen. We got answers. The answer is Errol, Trent, Errol Spence Jr. is still the truth. Okay, now let's move on to the juicy part of the fight. That came afterward, the Jim Gray interview with uh, Errol Spence. And Errol Spence talked all week long, and he was mentioning Terrence Crawford's name more than usual. He wasn't talking about if. He wasn't talking about if we come to a deal, if the, if uh, networks can, can come together. Yeah, I would like that fight, but there are other you know champions out there. No, no. From the get-go. From the last two weeks leading up to this fight, Errol Spence has named Terrence Crawford and has said, this fight will happen next. It is what I want. He was on first take on Friday morning with Stephen A. Smith, a huge platform, and he said, I want Errol, I want Terrence Crawford. And he said it afterwards, and it was the most demonstrative we have heard Errol Spence in terms of wanting this fight with Crawford. It's almost like they have a handshake deal. It's almost like the framework of a deal is set because that's how confident Errol, uh, Errol Spence was in this fight happening next. They had the, you know, they saw the, the tweet from uh, Crawford saying, "Good stuff, great performance, but I want, I want you next." And and they went back and forth on Twitter a little bit, but afterwards, after the fight was over, Spence said, "I'm coming for that belt, Terrence." It's a great soundbite, Terrence. I'm coming for that mother- belt. Uh, you know, he he's this is his plan all along, Spence. You know, I say this all the time. You got to start listening to what these fighters say. When Errol Spence was after the accident, we were like, there's no way he takes a tough fight. He's going to take a tune-up fight. All fighters do it. And then Spence from day one said, I ain't taking a tune-up fight. Doesn't believe in tune-up fights. Fought Danny Garcia. Torn retina. Oh, he's supposed to get the Pacquiao fight. We'll probably take a tune-up fight. Doesn't believe in him. Goes right for Ugas. Gets a third belt. So if he says that we will, he will fight Terrence Crawford, and he talked for years about wanting to clear out the division one by one, pick off one belt, at a time, and it started in 2017 when he beat Kell Brook, and now he beats your Dennis Ugas, and the only thing left is that fourth belt, that elusive fourth belt to become undisputed at welterweight. And standing in the way happens to be one of the top three pound-for-pound fighters in all of the sport in Terrence Crawford. It's finally here. There, there is nothing holding up this fight. It, the time is now. It's been four years since they met up in Oklahoma City Uh, for that now infamous moment that was captured on on social media uh, after the Maurice Hooker-Alex Saucedo fight of all places. But the timing is now perfect. They are still at the top of their game. I think it was proven uh, in that last performance from Spence. And I think that Crawford, yes, he is 35 years old, but he looked pretty damn good uh, when he stopped Sean Porter. I think the fight has its peak earning potential right now. We are in the midst of a great boxing schedule. You put this fight in October or November, it's it's never, not going to get any bigger than it is right now, especially with the four belts on the line, especially with the amount of buzz that's being generated in the sport. I think it could do 700, 750 pay-per-view buys uh, if promoted right. And you might think, oh, wow, that's pretty low. But it really isn't. These guys aren't household names. Uh, this is not Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, which only did 850K. Uh, which had a Super Bowl push behind it, uh, which had you know, network two networks behind it. Uh, Deontay Wilder was a big name in the sport. Tyson Fury is a big name in all of sports, and that did 850. 
So if this fight, you know, gets around 650 to 750 buys on, on pay-per-view, I think it, it will do a huge gate as well. If they put it in Las Vegas, maybe Allegiant Stadium, I think would be an awesome place for this if they can do it in October or November while it's still somewhat warm uh, in Vegas. But they got a roof there too. I don't think it will be in Texas. I think they'll find a neutral site for that. I think that uh, when Spence talks about the deal making sense, I think, um, you know, getting out of Texas, put this fight in Vegas, but a stadium would be cool. MGM Grand probably will be the spot or T-Mobile. Uh, once they, uh, Vegas figures out this, you know, the, the, fi- the fight of this magnitude, they want it uh, there. But damn, it, it feels different. It feels like this fight finally has like momentum. Like there's nothing in the way. Like, finally. And, you know, this is our, uh, you know, Hagler versus uh, Leonard. You know, this is our De La Hoya uh, versus Trinidad. I don't think it will be a De La Hoya versus Trinidad type of fight. I think it will be even better. That's another thing, too, is stylistically, this is a can't-miss fight. I'll give you a way-too-early breakdown between Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford. Errol Spence throws 69 punches around, which is number two in the division, only second to Jamal James, who was like 71. So he's one of the top volume punchers, Errol Spence. Uh, He lands 46% of his power shots. So he throws a lot of punches. He lands a lot of power shots, has the best jab in the the division, lands the most body shots, and has the second best defense only to Terrence Crawford. So we know the name of the game for Errol Spence now. It's been almost a decade of him throwing close to 70 punches around, landing his power at a high clip, landing his jab when when he's committed to it, and body work and great defense. Good power, too. Broke the eye, eye socket of Jordan Suga. Sitting down on his punches now. You know This is his first stoppage in quite a long time for Errol Spence. Then you flip over to Terrence Crawford. Selective. Only 45 punches thrown around, which is the, the least amount in the welterweight division. But he has the highest power connect rate of the welterweight division. Very selective. Good jab for Crawford, nothing special. Really good defense. Only gets hit with 7.5 punches around, which is number one in the welterweight division. These two guys are one and two in the plus-minus department, which is all about hit and getting hit. What's your connect percentage versus your opponent's connect percentage? That's how you figure out plus-minus. And they are two guys that are at the top of that list. You take a look at it. Uh, Terrence Crawford is plus 13.5, and Errol Spence is plus 9.1. Throw in the fact that Terrence Crawford has stopped his last eight or nine opponents. You got yourself a classic fight for all four belts. The We're going to figure out who is the best of this welterweight era. This era uh, of Keith Thurman. This era of Sean Porter. This era of Errol Spence. This era of Terrence Crawford. Kell Brook. This post-Mayweather-Pacquiao era of welterweights should have a resolution at the end of the year. And it's Terrence Crawford, and it's Errol Spence, and it's perfect. Imagine that. Getting an undisputed fight at Walter Ray Division by the end of the year. We could be looking at undisputed at 135. We could be looking at undisputed at 147. We could be looking at undisputed at 154 and at heavyweight all this year. The heavyweight one is going to be tricky. Well, We're going to talk about uh, Tyson Fury later on, uh, maybe on the Thursday pod. But we have at least three undisputed fights. In the division, we have huge fights. You know, I tweeted this yesterday that by the end of the year, we could have a heavyweight undisputed fight. We can have Triple G, Golovkin three, and we can have Spence versus Crawford. And I understand not a lot of fans want to see Triple G, Golovkin three, 
but it is a mainstream type of fight. It is a fight that will get mainstream coverage. Yes, I still think it will get mainstream coverage because majority of sports fans know who Triple G is and a majority of sports fans know who Canelo is. Those are big. You need those every once in a while. You need that big September fight, and it could be Triple G and Canelo. And then for the hardcores, all the other unification ballots that are being made around the sport, Donaire versus Inouye, uh, you know, Valdez versus Stevenson, go up and down the list of huge unification bouts that are on the schedule uh, right now. But you need those big mainstream type of fights. And, I, and that's what Triple G Golovkin is. That's why they're throwing a boatload of money at Canelo, uh, Matchroom, because they still think, they think that they can make profit on the fight. And, and it will end up being a good fight. I know this is not what we came here to talk about, but it will still be a good fight, Triple G and Golovkin 3. I hate to use this this you know analogy, but look at Fury and Wilder three. Not all fights are built the same, but look at Fury and Wilder three. No one wanted to see it. Majority of fans didn't want to see it. Wilder was entitled to it. I'll give him that. But it ended up being probably the better of the three fights. So if it ends in a Canelo knockout, if it ends in a slugfest, because I don't think anyone uh, of the besides Betterbiev is willing to stand and trade with Canelo besides Golovkin. Then we're in for a good fight. But if we can get that, we can get Spence Crawford. Uh, we can get some of the guy, you know, um, some of the guys that are fighting earlier this year for their second fight uh, towards the end of 2022. We got ourselves a massive, massive 2022. It's crazy. It's like it's almost like good things are happening to boxing fans. I mean, it's quite a run. You know, it started this uh, two weeks ago with Golovkin and Murata. Uh, you know, Lubin and Fundora, and then we moved on last week to uh, this past fight, Spence and Ugas, delivered. And now this upcoming week, we got Tyson Fury and Dillian White, which I'm excited for. I know there's a lot going on with the Kinahan news. That's going to be a big part of this promotion. Yes, it is a cloud hanging over it. Promotion. There's no doubt about it. If you're not following the news, uh, Daniel Kinahan, who... What do you begin with that? Um Mastermind behind MTK Global, mastermind behind the, the Kinahan organized crime cartel, recently got sanctioned by the U.S. Uh, $5 million bounty is put on his head, and um, he is a very powerful person in the boxing world, a very powerful advisor, and Tyson Fury just happens to be one of his star clients, to the point where if you go and watch, uh, when Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua was made for, like, what, a week or two, Tyson Fury cited Daniel Kinahan as the reason why that fight was happening. Uh, Bob Arum last week full flat out admitted that Daniel Kinahan made anywhere between four and eight million dollars as the advisor, or they paid Kinahan four to eight million dollars uh, for his advisor role to Tyson Fury. Big part of probably making this fight with Dillian White, forty million dollar purse bid. So that is hanging over this this uh, promotion. This is hanging over this fight week, but I'm still excited for the fight. I mean, anyone that follows me knows that. I don't, that's not what you're coming to, to me for is to talk about this Daniel Kinahan organized crime ring, but I will discuss it. But I do, when you come into the show, you're coming to hear about fight breakdowns. Or you're coming to hear about the stats You're coming to hear about the absurdity of the sport. And I'm going to probably label that as an absurdity of, of the sport, but that is this weekend, uh, Tyson Fury, Dillian White. And then next week, right here in New York city, just a few blocks from where we were recording this right now, we get Amanda Serrano, and we get Katie Taylor. That is going to be a blockbuster event. You know, Jake Paul, of course, involved with it. Eddie Hearn, um, a really good undercard. And the same night, 
Stevenson versus Valdez. That's how we end this April, which has been absurdly entertaining. And then the following week, Canelo versus Bivol. The following week after that, we get Jamel Charlo uh, versus Brian Castaño. Speaking of the Charlos, did you see them on that broadcast? Their interview with Brian Custer, they were lit. <laughs> and they were enjoying themselves before that interview, to, to say the least. Jamel Charlo, and and always a fun interview, Had his, and, and Jamal were up on the stage or up on the host desk with Brian Custer, and it was a pretty interesting interview. Uh, you probably won't find it anywhere on the Showtime uh, social pages. Uh, but from that point, Jamal Charlo went down to his seats ringside, David Benavidez also ringside, and they got into a uh, fracas. Uh, you could see it during one of the undercard fights. You could see it in the background. Like, Espinosa was, like, holding people back. I think he, at one point, Espinosa had, like, Charlo, like, wrapped up. <sighs> Charlo bros are nuts. They are they are passionate, uh, to say the least. But we need to get that fight going. Give me Jamal Charlo, David Benavidez at the end of the year. Uh, that was probably the best part of the undercard. <laughs> Low-key, that was probably the best part of the undercard. Uh, um Nah, Stanionis and Butiev was the best part. That was the 7 p.m. over on Showtime. I wonder if that was a successful venture for Showtime, if they're going to do that again. Uh, it was a little strange that Stanionis and Butiev fought to an empty crowd. Uh, but if anything, you could hear the severity of the punches. Because that was a brutal, brutal rock'em, sock'em, like right here, uh, toe-to-toe battle. Between two undefeated welterweights, two guys that are the winner become the mandatory uh, for Errol Spence. And I think there will be a resolution on that uh, this week, uh, one way or another. But Staniotis Budiev, uh, that was a war. Uh, Staniotis gets the unanimous decision, just broke down Budiev slowly but surely, but took a lot of fire in return. Both guys got beat up in this fight. Uh, Staniotis hammered to the body, um, just tough. He is a really good-looking welterweight. Lithuania has themselves their first world champion. I understand it's a secondary WBA belt. They're trying to consolidate those belts, the WBA, and uh, that means that Stanionius is now the mandatory for Errol Spence, and I do not think that will hold up Spence-Crawford fight. Uh, but that was a really good fight. That was at 7 p.m. Uh, also, Brendan Lee got a decision over Zachary Ochoa. Ochoa tasted that power early from Brandon Lee and then did not engage for the rest of the fight, so therefore... Brendan Lee was one of the best knockout punchers in the game, wasn't able to get a knockout um, there. But then there was this portion of the undercard where it was which old fighter gets sacrificed next, whether it's Yuri Orcas Gamboa, whether it's Francisco Vargas, whether it's Jose Cito Lopez, all three of them lost. Uh, Jose Cito Lopez went the distance. Um, he lost to Cody Crawley, who was a really good-looking uh, prospect for, for PBC, and I tweeted this at the time. If this is the end for Jose Cierto Lopez, thank you for the memories. Talk about a guy with a, a cat with nine lives. Uh, you know, going back to like 2012, 2011, beating Victor Ortiz, getting that shot with Canelo, then reinventing himself um, with Robert Garcia. Riverside Rocky just gave us a lot of memorable nights. But, uh, you know, that fight with Thurman arguably was a few moments away, a few punches away in that seventh round against Thurman. And Thurman's one of Thurman's many comebacks. Um he almost beat Keith Thurman, Jose Cito Lopez, and had a second act with the PBC, made some good money, so good for him. Uh, I would like to see him hang him up. He probably won't, uh, but he lost to Cody Crawley. And then Francisco Vargas got absolutely waxed a minute 30 into the first round, one-punch knockout from Jose Venezuela, who looks like a stud uh, at lightweight. That Francisco Vargas, he, he can't be fighting anymore. Uh, that was ugly. 
or it was a great shot, but it, it wasn't pretty. And, and just downright ugly was Yorikus Gamboa versus Isak Cruz. Sheesh. 40 years old, Yorikus Gamboa, who's probably been knocked out, knocked down close to 20 times in his career now, uh, has now your, is now a straight-up gatekeeper, has now fought so many contenders or so many future world champions. Uh, Jose Venezuela will be a future world champion, so I guess Gamboa has that going for him, but he had nothing. It was a grotesque mismatch. It wasn't even boxing, in my opinion. It was a beatdown uh, of a strong young fighter versus an old guy with no punch resistance. So on paper, I thought this was going to be a great undercard. It still delivered. I mean, there were big knockouts. Uh, there wasn't many competitive fights, but Budiev versus Sanionius was on the 7 p.m. portion. Uh, some people were complaining about that because maybe they weren't settled in for the pay-per-view, and but it was free. Like It was on Showtime. Uh, there was Showtime had a free preview weekend. Uh, but it was a good undercard. Uh, there was a lot going on. There was a little bit of something for everyone. Uh, but there was Charlo's fight in the crowd. There was one-punch knockouts. Uh, but I don't want to see Gamboa anymore. Uh, don't want to see Francisco Vargas anymore. Happy trails to Jose Cito Lopez. That was the undercard. Earlier in the day, Connor Ben stopped Chris Van Heerden in two rounds. Another mismatch. Connor Ben's a stud. I like him a lot. He has come made... Tremendous strides as a fighter. He's only 25 years old. Not much of an amateur background. Uh, but he has now... He has a bunch of stoppages now. You know, beat Chris Algieri, beat Chris Van Heerden. Those are the type, only type of fights he can get right now. Are these older guys that have one foot out the door that he just washes them out. And speaking of that, after the fight, Amir Khan popped up in the ring. That was bizarre. Like, Amir Khan has absolutely nothing left. I'm a big fan of Amir Khan. I say this respectfully. He should never fight again. We saw that in the Kell Brook fight. He was wobbly in the first round. So why is he entering the ring and even floating the idea of fighting Conor Ben? I understand it would do big money. I understand that is a big fight in the UK. You could probably put it in an outdoor stadium this summer. But we all know the outcome. I'd love to see Conor Ben fight, you know, David Avizian or fight like a guy in the fringe top 10. A guy, a puncher. Give me Conor Ben versus a puncher. Doesn't have to be a VZ. Doesn't have to be a Khan. Give me someone like, you know, maybe Mean Machine. <laughs> Talk about gatekeepers. Bring a Mean Machine out there and see, like, let Conor Ben taste some of that power. So we see what this guy's really made of. Because he hasn't been hit in his last couple of fights. But uh, I think he's a, uh, he's a big star. Uh, Matchroom has a big star on their hands. Uh, Eddie Hearn is floating a big fight this summer. Don't want to see him fight Adrian Broner. Don't even, please, please don't bring that up. So I know that Adrian Broner is back training. I saw Espinosa's tweet that he's committed this time. So Adrian Broner, volume 12 of committed to the sport. Um, but that was what happened on the matchroom card. Alicia Bumgarner also uh, fought this past weekend. Her first defense since stopping Terry Harper. Uh, weird one because uh, they announced the fight like a week before. Uh, I thought Bumgarner for sure would return. Her first defense would be in the U.S., but they put her on this this car with Conor Ben. Probably got a lot of eyeballs for her. She went the distance. Uh, she continues to go back and forth with Michaela Mayer. Uh, that fight is marinating now. Uh, so <laughs> it is what it is. I think Choi is probably next for Baumgartner. Uh, I feel like Michaela Mayer, Michaela Meyer, and Baumgartner are both want Choi. They both they're both angling to get that other belt. Get the, for Meyer, it would be the third belt. For Baumgartner, it would be the second belt. It's like, which who's going to get them there first? Is Top Rank going to 
offer Choi more money or is Matchroom going to offer Choi more money? So one of these ladies has a another belt that they can bring to the negotiating table when they eventually fight, which looks like it's going to be next year. So that's good, though. I mean, they, they deserve to make the most amount of money possible. Like, what I want to see Bumgarner versus Meyer at the end of this year, of course. You know, keep the momentum going in the women's boxing, whether it's Savannah Marshall and Shields who are fighting the, uh, this summer, whether it's next week with Taylor and Serrano. I'd love to get all three of those fights in one year. But Taylor Serrano is happening because it makes money, you know, it makes sense financially. They're both at their peak. Uh, same thing with Shields and uh, Marshall. Uh, Bumgarner and Mayer, unfortunately, needs more marinating so they can make their, their most money. Because they don't make a lot, these women fighters. So I'm not going to fault them holding out so they can make the biggest fight possible for them, and that will be a good one. Yeah, that was it this weekend. Um, fun one. A lot going on in the, the world of boxing, but the story is Errol Spence Jr. and Terrence Crawford. I can't believe this is actually going to happen. Um, just here in the office, my guy Joe's McFly asked me, you know, what, what were your thoughts on Pacquiao and Mayweather? Do you think they, it took too long for them to fight? Of course it did. You know, they were close to 40 when they fought. Ideally, Spence and Crawford would have fought, you know, three years ago, you know, 2018, 2019, when they were both like at the, their peak peak, but they're still at the top of their game. Look at what we saw from Spence this past weekend, throwing close to 80 punches around, power, defense, you know, 40,000 in the crowd in Dallas. Like that scene was amazing. Errol Spence sells tickets. Errol Spence puts asses in seats. Uh, we'll see about the pay-per-view numbers, but... Crawford also 35 years old, but hasn't been hit much. Has a great defense, great power. Still at the top of his game, too. Still in the top three, pound for pound. This is a top five, pound for pound fight. This is uh, all four belts. The time is now. I said it uh, after Crawford beat Sean Porter. I said, if Crawford Spence doesn't happen in 2022, boxing has failed. And it seems like we're getting it. It's going to come down to a, a deal being made. And Spence was pretty assured fans that it will happen. A deal that makes sense, Spence said. What network is it going to be on? Will Crawford have to sign a two to three fight deal with PBC? I think he would love to do that. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. You know, I'm hoping that it, the only thing that I can see derailing this fight is if Crawford signs a two fight deal and they want him to fight someone before Spence. I also think this fight could be, it could be rematches in this fight. This fight could be a trilogy. That's all even I think it's going to be. That's the only thing I can see getting in the way of this fight happening next. But Spence wants it. Crawford wants it. Crawford is a free agent. Showtime is willing to put up big money for it. Fox will get in the mix. We're going to get it this year. I, I feel it. You know, I'm a positive person. I feel it. And it's going to be... Volume versus precision. The volume of Errol Spence, the precision of Terrence Crawford. Mean fighters. Guys that go for knockouts. Got a mean streak in them. The buildup's going to be epic. Just seeing them standing there at a press conference, the first press conference, picture it. And they go face-to-face, finally. It will just do big numbers. I think casual fans will be into it. Of course, hardcore fans, boxing fans, have been calling for this for years. And this is it. This is their chance for it to be at, at its peak, to be not completely expired, not past its expiration date. It has to happen, my guess, November-ish, late October, November, anywhere in that window, maybe early December. 
Vegas, four belts, a big old party. I'll be there with John Boy Media. We'll have a presence there. We're going to be everywhere. We're going to be everywhere. Don't forget to subscribe to the JM Boxing YouTube page. We put a lot of content on there, putting podcasts out on Mondays, putting podcasts out on on Thursdays. Next show will be Thursday. We'll have a guest. Uh, We will talk about Tyson Fury's return. That's going to be something. That's going to be some scene. 95,000 they're expecting at Wembley Stadium. Dillian White is now cooperating. He's tweeting about the fight. He's promoting the fight. He maybe got a few extra million. Good for him. Uh, this fight's going to make a ton of money for for top rank and and everyone involved. Everyone involved in this one. But I expect a lot more Kinahan stuff this in the, in the lead up. Uh, Tyson Fury is eventually going to have to answer a question about it. We saw what happened last week at the presser on Zoom where every question, um, there was zero questions about Kinahan, which is hard to believe. I heard from some journalists uh, that were pretty much shut out of the Zoom presser. Uh, that's not cool. That's a disgrace. All they had to do was ask one question at the top of the press conference to Tyson Fury. Fury would have had a, a canned PR response, and that would have been the end of it. Or maybe Fury doesn't want to denounce Daniel Kinahan. I don't know. I'm just speculating, but I think as the week goes on, I think the pressers start tomorrow, Tuesday. We'll, we will f- get an answer um, from Tyson Fury one way or another. I'm looking forward to the fight, too. <laughs> it's going to be a great fight. Uh, finally, Tyson Fury fighting someone other uh, than Deontay Wilder. His first fight in the U.K. in years. Dillian White, uh, inferior boxer, but still has power. He's going to go for it. I'm interested to see how Fury deals with the volume of Dillian White. Dillian White throws the most punches in the welter. Uh, welter White. I got welterweights on my mind. Dillian White throws the most punches of, of any heavyweight uh, per round. So, will it be another knockout for Fury? Will he have to go the distance? You know, will we be one step closer to Undisputed? I want to see that scene at Wembley. It's going to be awesome. That is a wrap for this edition of Inside Boxing Live. We're back on Thursday with a full-fledged Tyson Fury Dillian White episode, but here we go. Let's start banging that drum for Spence uh, versus Crawford. Can't wait for that one. All right. See you next time.